September 28, 2020. It's a lot from Pedro Show.
not. Oh no, it's not. Not made by hand. I got a mother, sister, and a brother who have gone to that sweet land. I'm determined to go and see them. Good Lord, over on yes, so. Show. Happy Monday, last Monday of September. This month's almost gone, people. Still in Quentin Quarantino modes for Brother Matt's at the Love Grotto on the Pleasure Point, a couple miles out here. Uh, we started the show off with John Coltrane Quartet doing Serenity from his uh, meditations. You know, there's two versions, right? And this one's got the, the, the I think, the six, six movements. Then uh, Upper Hamilton Gravediggers with I Am a Pilgrim. And <laughs> you can hear my guests la- laughing there. Uh, Mr. Jack Wright, welcome aboard. Hello there, Mike. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a real privilege and honor to have you on the show, truly. Uh, th- I've got to give uh, big respect to Evan Lipson for making the connect. I just got to talk to Zach a couple episodes ago, and he's one of your collaborators. A lot of these cats are. Uh, Jack, what's your earliest musical recollection? I I heard you ask that of uh, every of, guest I've had. Zach. <laughs> every guest I've had for the last nineteen years, Jack. I asked that same. Well, question. I tried to I tried to think about it. So uh, it was sometime in the late forties, and I was uh, thinking what I heard was "Open the Door, Richard." And I looked it up, uh, and it was a song by uh, Louis Jordan or Jordan. Yeah. And uh, it was a pretty raunchy song, so I doubt if I heard that on AM radio, but I probably heard some version of it. And I had a little friend. This is like uh, 1948 or so. I had a little friend, Richard, so I always thought of him. So that was probably the first thing. But uh, mostly, my mother was a uh, classical pianist, 
and uh, she taught piano, and uh, we had a lot of classical music. Uh, we had a Victrola. We did before we had a electric, uh, and uh, so uh, we we listened to. Um, it had did have thirty three speed, and we uh, when LPs came out, I remember uh, she got. There were three LPs that she got, and one was uh, Beethoven's Fifth, and the other one was another one was uh, Pablo Casals uh, playing some uh, conducting some uh, Bach arrangements, and uh, the Stravinsky Firebird. Uh, so I I liked all of them, but the Firebird certainly came up in my mind later on, having heard that at an early date. It was something that uh, later on her her taste in music narrowed a little bit, uh, and she didn't like anything as wild as that. But uh, uh, that's probably the first stuff that I listened to. And where was this? This was uh, in a section of Philadelphia. Okay. That's where my family my family was all from Philadelphia area. Now your mom being a piano teacher, did she want you to take lessons from her? Uh, no, when I was, the general thing, uh, was, uh, this was, we moved out to Chicago, uh, Chicago suburbs. And, uh, when kids got to be 10 years old, um, if they wanted to play an instrument, they were asked, you know, now's the time to do it. I guess going into what, uh, fourth grade maybe. And, uh. So I knew I didn't want to play piano because then I'd be too much under her thumb. Ah. So uh, we were listening to the radio in the kitchen one day, and uh, I heard an instrument, and I said, what's that instrument? She said, I think that's a saxophone. So I said, well, that's what I want to play. Oh, wow. So um, I think it's very interesting uh what instruments at a young age, you know, like 10 years old. I know you started much later than that, right? You well, started when you were uh, a teenager. Yeah, well, I did try to do the clarinet in school in seventh grade, but after 10 weeks, the music teacher, Mr. Luna, said, uh, Mr. Watt, you try hard, but <laughs> <laughs> you maybe you should stop wasting your time, my time, my and time, yours. and then he looked at the classroom and he said, "Our time." <laughs> <laughs> so I was pretty beaten down. So I got kind of into music when I was uh, twelve years old because uh, of a bass guitar, because it was a way of hanging out with my friend. In fact, his mother said, "You're going to play bass, so you can play with him." You guys can uh -huh. have a band in the house after school. Yeah, because I moved from the Navy house into these projects and. It was early 70s. In fact, it was 1970. So there wasn't a lot of guns, but, there, you know, a little bit of trouble and stuff. So she wanted us in the house after school. So that's how I got on bass. And I'm, I'm very yeah, grateful to I her. I think I heard about that on a video uh, that I saw about you. I yeah. little, knew a little bit about you. Okay. Well, I want to know <laughs> a little bit about you. What was the first record you bought with your own money? Uh... That was probably uh, uh, Johnny Hodges' record. It was a 10-inch uh, where he was featured uh, with uh, Duke Ellington. And uh, 
I was really uh, very, very taken with it. I mean, I, I had the feeling, I don't know, uh, 11, 12 years old, I had the feeling like I had, when I, when I listened to uh, Daydream, I think was the piece, uh, I felt like I, I knew what it was to faint, and I felt like I had fainted, and I would fall back onto the bed. It was really, I was making it up, but it was still this feeling of uh, just being knocked out uh, by this. And uh, it was because he did something really unique, I'm sure you know. Um, he was a saxophonist who could slide uh, from a very, from top to bottom or bottom to top. He slid all over the place. And this is not easy, this is easy to do on the clarinet because on the clarinet you can uncover your fingers and there are, there are holes there. That's right. And you can do that gradually, but the saxophone, all, uh, all the holes are covered with pads, so I could never do it, and I've never, <clears throat> never heard anybody else do it effectively, but uh, he really um, still uh, impressed me with what he was able to do. I think it's called a glissandro or gliss? Well, it's, yeah, which is uh, usually something you do on a, on a stringed instrument, right. you just slide your finger. But it's much more difficult to get that. It's a combination of lip and opening your fingers uh, very gradually. Right. So technique. What was the first gig you saw in person, so, uh, people playing? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, it might have been, um, I forget the, uh, the guy's name, trumpet player. My mom took me and uh, my friend... Uh, Bobby Ellis down to Chicago to uh, the Blue Note in Chicago on a Sunday matinee and uh, there was this uh, very popular trumpet player at the time I mean they weren't you know they didn't serve us drinks but um, uh, this was supposed to be for you know young people could come and hear jazz so uh, we saw this guy uh, he was he was just you know, barely awake at uh, <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I'd never seen a jazz musician before, but um, he played. I was pretty impressed, and uh, also Errol Garner was there. Uh, for some reason, I can remember his name, but um, that was the first gig, probably. But then we saw. Uh, um, let's see, uh, Dave Brubeck. His quartet was very popular, I think, 1954. Uh, and uh, this was in a big outdoor uh, outdoor park, Ravinia Park, uh, north of Chicago. So uh, I got, that's, but I didn't really go, uh, I've never really gone to a lot of music, never really uh, gone to shows that much. Well, you know your myself. book, your book's got an intro from Davy Williams and Davy Birmingham guy and another guy from Birmingham was Sun Ra and I know he spent a lot of time in Chicago right and he, well his big influence was uh, Fletcher Henderson and uh, he had to play kind of these like you know they were like kind of late night places and maybe burlesque kind of pads so I, I doubt if you would have been able to see that no well the Chicago uh, the Chicago jazz scene was really pretty scary for a 
a uh, kid like me, you know, from the from the suburbs, uh, you know, Boy Scout, and I was a very straight kid, and uh, which is why I, I I didn't continue in jazz because I knew I just didn't fit with the the jazz musicians, and I also didn't never really got the hang of uh, uh, of playing of improvising jazz improvisation, uh, so I. I really quit uh, taking lessons or any kind of serious uh, work on the saxophone by uh, 1958 or so. Okay, I want to play uh, Denver 2002, no net. <laughs>
too much burn, but you never ever will return from Bermuda. That's the way of Bermuda. That's the way of Bermuda. That's the way of Bermuda.
Pedro Show, yeah, no net. 
something live with Jack right there, Denver, 2002. Then we had Bogdan Rosinski with YY, Aunt Sally with SA. Spelled funny with an E. Or like in SoCal here, SA, yeah, kind of a the steer. Uh, Candy Color Dub, Model Home, collaborate with his name alive. Uh, brand new from uh, Shige. He uh, sent me this. Uh, back, back to Fatina. He had a two month, uh, what do you call that when you stay somewhere? Residency in uh, Uganda. He came up with this Swordman Katala produced by D DJ Scotch Rolex, but he's also known as DJ Scotch. Uh, uh, me doing a Rocky Erickson song for uh, the uh, DC Black Club, uh, <laughs> Black Cat Club, Bermuda. Uh, Sonic Round of View Band with uh, Fred Sonic Smith and Scotty on the drums, of course. Uh, City Slang. Uh, great. I think it's the only record they made, Seven Inch. And then uh, Jack Wright with Ben Wright, who I guess is your son, right? This was in New Mexico. As if anything could be the same. That that's kind of like the idea of no net, you know. I, I like I like this idea. You know, I'm, I've been reading your book. Now it's going to take me a little time. It's pretty dense, but it's interesting when you speak about jazz in the book. You say it's kind of a a precursor of the free musics. Uh, listeners out there, the the book's called The Free Musics by Jack Wright, and I recommend to everybody. It's beautiful. It's a righteous fucking thing, and uh, you you talk a little about jazz there, like. Well, you explain yourself, Jack. Well, uh, sure. Uh, uh, free improvisation, uh, the form especially that is this word represents to people who have been doing it uh, for some time, uh, originated in, uh, in the UK in the 60s didn't originate in the U.S. Uh, uh, here it was uh, much more free jazz, and uh, that had a big influence on free improvisation. The way I saw it was that um, in the 70s, a lot of people, including uh, Davy Williams, were influenced by free jazz, and uh, in a way, uh, taking off from that. In other words, inspired by it after the time when free jazz was really no longer uh, moving ahead or changing that much. So free jazz really continued as a, as a creative form that is changing from one year to the next, uh, new records coming out, new ideas, that that kind of ended around 1967 with the, the death of John Coltrane. Yeah. And uh, it continued uh, in much the same way, but the the audience for it, a lot of things collapsed in the late 60s. A lot of things culturally and uh, certainly uh, uh, free jazz was associated with the uh, urban riots. Uh, people thought that it was uh, free jazz was uh, incendiary music. And uh, um, so anyway, a lot of things happened to jazz 
altogether at that time, people believed that free jazz uh, was the the end of jazz altogether, uh, and can't go into all that happened, but um, uh, it began to be picked up by people in the 70s uh, around the country, um, even in Canada, independently. It evolved in sort of in the spirit of the 60s, uh, and uh, uh, then people began to get together, especially in New York City and in the Bay Area, California, in the uh, in the mid to late 70s, uh, and people moved to these areas or got in touch with the people there, and uh, of course at that time just through finding a record and then writing to people. I found out about somebody in Minneapolis, Milo Fine, in 1981 or so. My local library had this record, uh, the Milo Fine uh, Free Jazz Ensemble. I, I listened to it. I, It had his address, I think, and I wrote to him and, you know, so this is the way people began to get connected. Uh, but it was mostly uh, in, the or in the original or earliest period, it was New York City uh, and uh, the Bay Area. And mostly it was very free jazz oriented. It was a lot of saxophonists uh, and pretty, pretty cranked up music, fast, you know, hard driving. Uh, I was certainly, certainly into that. Uh, and not a lot of, not a lot of quiet or spatial, uh, playing through most of the eighties, but it was still open, um, to, uh, sound and open to very strange things. Like, uh, there was this, there was this, uh, basement venue in Manhattan, which was, uh, originally an anarchist space. Uh, it was the alchemical theater, but a lot of the letters dropped off, and it, all that was left was A-M-I-C-A. So it was called A-Mica. And every Sunday there'd be a show there, and this would be completely uh, unpublicized. But people would come, and anybody who wanted to could play. So people would come with all kinds of, you know... Uh, crazy, crazy things. People might just come with these, uh, uh, you know, uh, toy pianos and uh, little percussion and because free improv was just open to just anything outside of uh, normal music, outside of commercial music. And it wasn't, it didn't involve uh, people who wanted to uh, make a name for themselves. It was uh, just you know, a completely underground thing. And it's pretty much the same, but it's changed and uh, has evolved in that uh, there are a lot of people who still play really hard, you know, uh, uh, hard driving music and other people that uh, uh, play much quieter and, um, you know, people have developed uh, different techniques and so on. What you're saying is that there, there's not just one way to be free. Right. But if <laughs> you, the sense. thing is that free improv, if you're 
uh, if you're playing, uh, if you say, uh, okay, okay, we're going to play free, and then somebody starts playing uh, playing a beat or chord changes, uh, they'll just they'll lose track because uh, you can't keep that up. You can go ahead and do that, but pretty soon you get drawn into the web of of free playing. So uh, it's uh, not easily combined with um, other kinds of music. Yeah, I was thinking of another direction that the jazz scene seemed to go was a, a fusion, maybe in the 70s. Yeah, well, that was always uh, followed some kind of a rhythmic, you know, yeah, a, yeah. a steady rhythmic pattern. Absolutely. I think that's probably the most uh, indicative of anything. If you don't have uh, a pulse, uh, some kind of strict, uh, some kind of idea that a regularity of uh, of a beat, then uh, you don't have anything to hang chord changes on. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But I, I got to tell you, that that's fusion scene bored me to tears. <laughs> Look, Jack, we're at the end of the first hour, September 28, 2020 edition. Watt Pedro Show, special guest Jack Wright, hold tight for hour two. September 28, 2020, it's the second hour of the Watt from Pedro Show.
excited. It's gonna be an early end to the show. He's got to blow town. It seems he burned some other kid's house down.
For Pedro Show, start off the second hour with Kill Time. That's Jack Wright. Who, who who's playing with you in this uh, combo? Okay, well it's just a duo with uh, a drummer uh, Murray Reams. Murray Reams, who has okay. uh, he was from North Carolina, from Greensboro. I used to go down there and play, uh, and met him at one point, and uh, he just dropped out of sight. Uh, at one point, he became a poet, um, and. Uh, he said that a lot of people were angry at him for quitting the drums, and I said, "No, you just go ahead and do whatever." Um, but uh, I've tried to find out what happened to him, and but he's he's uh, really a great drummer. That's uh, me playing tenor, uh, which I don't do that I don't do that anymore. Not 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 performing, um, but it's a that's the kind of uh, fierce, uh, uh, high energy playing that I did through uh, consistently uh, until just the end of the 90s when I started experimenting with uh, really quiet uh, quiet stuff and playing slow. I mean, just doing everything the opposite from what I had done. I felt confined by uh, the free jazz direction, uh, even though I enjoyed it. Uh, and I had my own way about it. Okay. We had Diamond Dinky Dunko, the Dancing Clown from Sam Bennett. After that, Death Rattle, track three from Abramson Kane. That's got Pat Kane from Mobile Home on tenor when he was in Buffalo. He moved on to, like, uh, manipulating samples and stuff. You know, music is a journey. So if you don't want to be, like, in rerun mode, maybe you got to move to different kind of things, you know? One thing wasn't opposite, though, Jack. You stayed free. Even though you weren't playing hard charger with the and went to softer, you still kept the free thing going. And then finally, Roughhausen, Philly, 2019 from last year. And I, I played some Roughhausen when I had Zach on the show because uh, I think he's part of this with uh, Ben Bennett. Right. Right. Well, no, uh, Roughhousing is uh, me and Zach and Evan Lipson. Oh, Evan. Okay, oh, yeah, on the bass. Okay, okay. Ben Bennett's a drummer man. Right, but. Evan and uh, Ben and I were in a group and did a bunch of tours uh, earlier uh, as a rest, W-R-E-S-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my mistake. I'm sorry, Jay. Uh, but Roughhousing, yeah, you and Zach, uh, 
but this this is uh, well, this is more collaboration, right? You're talking about where you play slower and stuff. That's man alone. Well, that was uh, I was I was doing that around uh, like 20 years ago, uh, and for a period of time, I was just uh, working in that direction. Now, what came out of that for me was moving more into sound because uh, before that, uh, the 80s and 90s. I was playing pretty much all real notes. Uh, maybe people don't know what real notes are, but they're, <laughs> you know, you, uh, it's a straight sound uh, where it really sounds like the saxophone. And starting 20 years ago, I was um, uh, changing my embouchure and uh, changing the way I worked with my fingers, doing multiphonics more and uh, doing... Uh, doing all kinds of sounds that people would say commonly, and they still say, uh, I've never heard a saxophone sound like that. So uh, saxophonists occasionally make some kind of off sound, but that's what I do a good bit of the time. So it's um, uh, that's one thing that's different from the past. And the other is that, uh, uh, so Zach, uh, Zach was uh, living in the house uh, down in Philly where I would go down um, about once a week. He, he moved there in 2014, and uh, I would go down there and play with him almost every week or every two weeks. And uh, I don't know if he influenced me or I influenced him, but we began to play differently in a way that... Uh, 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 was more interruptive. In other words, uh, so so he'll play something with uh, with something uh, jammed into his strings, and then he'll stop and he'll find something else. And when it stopped like that, I realized that uh, I didn't want to play over that. I would also stop and start. I mean, that got me into starting and stopping. Uh, as well, so that there was a kind of rhythm that was happening in just punching, sort of like punching at different times, uh, at unexpected times, where uh, you're creating a, a, a rhythm out of the gaps between uh, events, which is a lot different from playing through. Like if you listen to practically any music, the idea is you just fill in the space entirely from the beginning to end. There's going to be continuous sound as if uh, that's what the audience wants. And uh, uh, you can do things differently where you, you know, like in roughhousing, we'll be going along. All of a sudden, the three of us will stop and then start off another direction, completely different direction. Interesting. You know, the slits had a lyric. Silence is a rhythm, too. <laughs> I, I want to play this uh, duo you got with uh, Patrick Crossland.
For Pedro Show, Jack Wright with Patrick Crossland duo. Well, I guess it's called the Jack Wright Patrick Crossland duo. <laughs> that was uh, that's the last gig I've played. Most because recent. that that was in uh, Newark, Delaware. Patrick. Uh, oh, is Newark, down Delaware. In you know, I've been to Newark, Delaware once. Uh huh. Because everybody knows about the Newark and New Jersey across, you know, the Hudson. But I have been to Newark, Delaware. Well, there's a there's a bike shop there with a large space for performance, and they have a performance uh, once a month, the last Friday of every month, and it's uh, it's almost always electronics players from that area. Newark, Delaware, is uh, where the University of Delaware is, so that's where a lot of people have you know either gone to school there and stayed stayed around afterwards. So and and that's a very interesting gig. I've played there many many times with Zach and other people. So um, anyway, it's uh, interesting to play in a in a uh, 
in a bike shop. <laughs> we had have a, life, a nice life after that with music will untie the sky. And then a, a project got called Never. And I played some of this with the Zach. Uh, September uh, 2019. Tell us about Never, Jack. Uh, let's see. Well, that's uh, uh, Ben Bennett, percussion, Zach Darrup yeah, uh, right. on guitar. And that recording is from, that's the first tour that we've done. We've played a lot together. I mean, I've played with Ben since uh, 2008 or so. Um, now, his, his dad is a very interesting uh, writer. Uh, if I say he's a poet, uh, he might say, well, I'm not really what you think a poet is. That's the kind of, that's the way he talks. But he's about my age. He's late seventies. And, uh, I met him in the mid eighties. Uh, he was, uh, this, uh, his dad, I met him in uh, Cincinnati. He was doing a poetry reading and I was playing solo and somebody said, well, why don't you do something together? So I said, oh, well, okay. So he did this thing where he went, the shirt. The sheet, the shirt, the sheet, and I would just, you know, play and punch, punch along with that. <laughs> that was the whole. That was the whole performance. Uh, anyway, we did a bunch of things together, and then I heard his son play. I think 2005 or 2006. He played uh, drum kit, and uh, uh, after that, we got together sometimes with his dad. Uh, Anytime I came through, we would play. And then he moved to Philly. Uh, he probably told you about that. Yeah, well, So he said you had an incredible in, impact on him. So did Zach. Ah, uh, yeah. well, they've, they've influenced me a lot. I've toured with, uh, I've toured with Ben and uh, uh, with Zach. With Zach more than, I've played with Zach more than any other uh, musician, probably at this point. Whoa. Uh, mostly sessions. I mean, to me, uh, sessions are... Um, just as important as gigs. Yeah, They're, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I remember Zach talking about how, uh, oh, well, uh, uh, roughhousing only plays together uh, on tour, but that's because Evan lives down in Chattanooga, and so we just don't get together very often. Right. But Zach is right there in Philly, and I'm not far away. I go down there, and uh, so we play uh, recently. Uh, <clears throat> we've been playing with, um, uh, with Ben, so either at Ben's house or at uh, where Zach lives in his space, uh, we get together. And uh, so we just had that one tour last fall, and uh, I'm sure we'd like to do more. But playing in the future, I don't know what, what you think about it, but uh, it's uh, especially for a saxophonist, you know, like uh, musicians can who aren't playing wind instruments, they can put a mask on. But uh, otherwise, and also, you know, people indoors, it's very limited. I'm wondering what you're you're thinking of because uh, you're still you're still touring, aren't you? Not right now. Not of, at the moment. Yeah, but. not now. But I'll tell you, at the moment, we're at the end of the second hour, September 28, twenty twenty. This Rob Peters, special guest, Jack Wright. Hold tight for hour three. September 28, 2020, it's the third hour of the Watt from Pedro Show. Thank <laughs> you. 
Well, for Pedro Show, we started the third hour off with Jack Wright and Bob Marsh, an excerpt from Birds in the Hand. What's this, Praj? Uh, that's uh, with uh, Bob Marsh, and he is the, I met him in 86, and uh, he's the only one from that era that I'm still uh, playing with. I'm not playing with too many older people at all. Uh, he's down in Pueblo, Colorado right now. Uh, had to leave the uh, the Bay Area for uh, reasons of you know the great the great rental property squeeze. Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, yeah, it's terrible. and he found a nice place in in Pueblo. Uh, he and his wife. So uh, that's when right. I'm that's right I'm right out to... there often because uh, my sons I have two sons live in uh, uh, New Mexico. So I go out there and I play with my one son plays bass. Um, and then I come through Pueblo and play with Bob. But we've we've toured uh, quite a bit, East Coast, Midwest. I think the, the connect. Past. I think the connect road is the I twenty five. Yeah, we had the right. Pedro party band after that. That crane flowed me this hopeful mirage. Then uh, Bronze Age UFO out of Baltimore, not too far from Newark, Delaware. Helen Butte said this part B, and finally Colorado Boulder nineteen ninety nine Jack Wright. This is a little different for you, right? With the piano. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was in Boulder for 15 years. It was my uh, my escape from the East Coast. Uh, it was just uh, it wasn't. There were a lot of people who were getting away from improvised music, and uh, I was mostly involved with people in New York, and uh, I couldn't get any gigs in New York, uh, and Philly wasn't. You know, Philly wasn't possible either. So uh, I was on a, I was doing these uh, long distance tours. I uh, started in 80, 85, I think I started touring and realizing that it was much more interesting to, to uh, play in different places. And I started finding places. The first tour was uh, probably with uh, Chris Cochran, the guitarist in New York and Paul Hoskin, uh, uh, who died a few years ago, uh, Reed player, uh, Barry sax player. So I started going and trying to find, during find places to play. Um, I was able to play in Chicago and uh, we played in uh, Toledo at some poetry gathering and uh, uh, stuff like that. And on one of these tours, I, I did a tour with a, a dancer and 
we did a tour through the Midwest, uh, out as far as, uh, down as far as uh, Tulsa, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, I had just never been out in that part of the country at all. I had been in the Midwest as a kid, but, uh, and uh, because he was a dancer, he was able to get into spaces because dancers have to perform. Musicians can, you know, do things in small spaces, but dancers really need to get audience and space and, you know, a place that has the money. So on one of these tours, I met Bob, uh, Bob Marsh in Detroit, uh, and uh, I've been playing with him ever since. Whoa. I want to play something here. This is you again alone, Naples, 1986.
For Peter's show, Naples 1986, Jack Wright, and then we had Galextasy. You know, you asked me about Torin. What is the future of Torin? Yeah, I have no idea. It's going to happen somehow, but you're right, there's probably going to have to be changes. I'll tell you one thing this last tour I did before this all came down, I wasn't shaking people's hands and I didn't get sick. And I didn't know uh-huh. this was coming, but I was tired, you know, 40 years of getting sick. So I just gave people elbow and shit. A lot of dudes got pissed off, but I was just tired. And then, you know, the tour's over in November. I play a gig here. Of course, somebody shakes my hand. I get sick. And then this, uh-huh. shit, this shit comes out. And I'm thinking, you know what? I might have been on to something without even <laughs> knowing it. So, well, you asked me, and that, that's my answer. You're the, Mike, you're the canary in the mine. <laughs> you're the one... You're the one who's going to let us know when the next uh, virus comes around. You just announce it on your show, and everybody will pick it up. Oh, Mike is sick. Must be something else coming on. <laughs> Hunker down. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but, but what about your future plans? I'm interested. Well, uh, there's one nice thing about, about COVID is that uh, uh, for me, see, I organize all the tours that I go on. I have the contacts, and uh, I kind of enjoy doing it, but it soaks up a lot of time. And uh, uh, so not knowing when anything can possibly happen means that there is nothing to be planned. Like a tour, uh, a tour in Europe means, you know, maybe a year in advance. you got to get started on it. The tour in this country, you can do like uh, four, four months, depending on the, the kind of venues. But most, most places we play are you know, house shows. And these are uh, 
you know, two months for most of them. So uh, there's nothing to be planned when you don't, when you can't be sure of uh, what's going to happen. I had to cancel two tours, one, one with Ben Bennett, which was in uh, Italy and the Balkans. It took a tremendous amount of work getting that thing together. And then uh, uh, that was just like, well, uh, that was supposed to be in late, that was supposed to be in March. And uh, uh, we were late March and, you know, it was obvious very soon in February that that wasn't going to be possible. So that was canceled. Then I had to cancel another one, which was with uh, roughhousing, a smaller, smaller tour. So, uh, so being in this kind of limbo uh, is uh, very interesting. Having, having lived a life since the early 80s when I started touring, well, mid-80s mid I really started touring, all this time uh, having tours and having a schedule know living by a calendar living you know with the knowledge that something had to be planned and like in the when I was living in Boulder I did three tours a year I did one tour to the west coast and two tours to the east coast so uh, uh, having been touring all this time suddenly released from it I mean it's a strange kind of uh, uh, I don't know death and rebirth uh, <laughs> there's no idea you know, people are still uncertain when this thing is going to be over. Of course. Of course. You know, uh, where can people find you on the internet there, Jack? Uh, springgardenmusic.com. Okay, that's S-P-R-I-N-G-G-A-R-D-E-N. Music, right. com. Yeah. Yeah, but if you just go uh, Jack Wright saxophone, it'll probably, uh, I'll probably come up there. And that's with the W, people. Yes. The only rights in the world. Right. They all have W's. That's right. The airplane guys. Dayton. Uh, <laughs> what about young people? Like, like, you know, like Zach or Ben Bennett, but even younger people. What would be your advice to them getting into this free music? Uh, first of all, don't go to school. Don't go to music school. That makes it, it makes it very difficult to break out of what you're being taught. I mean, once you're in school, you sort of have to get with the program. And uh, when you come out of it, you've got certain ideas, certain skills that you are attached to. And it's much better to start from scratch and uh, just start playing with people. You know, just ask somebody, anybody, do you want to play free? And you get together. It's kind of leisure time thing where you're, you're not thinking, uh, Oh, let's get a band together. Um, but uh, just getting together and see what happens. I mean, that's what improv is. That's you know, let's see what happens. Right. Uh, got it. I think that's great advice, and it's a huge honor for me to have you on my show. Thank you so much, Jack. Truly. Well, glad you're you're doing this. I'm I'm sitting here looking at this little circle picture of you. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you've got some gray hair there. Oh yeah. I'm 60. I'll be 63 in December. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So you're one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll welcome you into the old folks. Right. Home. From the third act to the fourth act. Right. <laughs> People who's been there. <laughs> you're beautiful, Jack. You keep on keeping on. You're a big inspiration to me, truly. Uh, People, it's the September 28, 2020 edition of the Watford Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.